Hey everybody, I just want to thank everybody for listening first and foremost. Before we get started in today's episode, I just want to give a great big shout out to Mama Never Told Us Podcast. It's a great podcast. I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but I'm so glad I did. It's a podcast where three sisters sit down and tackle life's toughest subjects from dealing with difficult ass people, reality, the perfect job, and they do it all with a glass of wine and some laughter. So tune in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Why don't you go ahead and drop a five-star review down there while you're at it. Give them a listen. You'll very much appreciate it, because I did. Welcome to Blood and Fire Water Podcast, a true crime comedy podcast where we drink tequila or whatever strong liquor we can get our hands on, our chaser, a case of murder. We do not make fun of the victims, but we will poke fun at people, places, and things about the case. We are no way professionals in criminology. We're just trying to let go of the past. Should we make these shots a double? You don't even have to ask. This is season two, episode 32 of the Celebrity Murder Conspiracies. We dive down some rabbit holes in search of the truth, though we may never find them. They're still fun to talk about. But still, much respect to the victims. Fuck the perps. So let's get into tonight's case. This story has always piqued my interest. Number one, because to me, it has remained unsolved. Number two, the resemblance to the Jean Bonnet case is palpable. Number three, I can't seem to get over cases that contain ransom notes. I don't know. It's just a me thing. But by the way, this case has 13 ransom notes. It's an oldie but a goodie, like Prohibition doing something illegal good. So that's why I chose a Prohibition age beverage for this episode. During the Prohibition age from 1920 to 1933, it was one of the only only 10 brands authorized for lawful production because of medicinal purposes. (laughs) So cheers as we drink to the crime and the true crime accessories. Uh, For this episode, Brandy is absent. So I invited my dad and his friend Matt. Correct? Correct. Correct. I'm glad I got that on the first try. Um, Tonight we're drinking Old Forester. 100 proof Old Forester. It's about to get real hot in here, guys. Okay. I'll I'll go ahead and let you know. We got something cool as well. I promise you that. So I guess we will take a shot now. And be done with it. All right. Okay. All right. Maybe not. Done I'm with thinking it. about the number thirteen when you mentioned that because you know thirteen has always quote unquote been the unlucky number. Yes. And what did you say about thirteen just now? Thirteen ransom notes. I'm, I'm like, why is thirteen got to be unlucky? <laughs> thirteen is thirteen is my lucky number. I'm Dan Marino's number was number thirteen, and I, I, as you can see, I got my dolphin necklace on. Can I see the bottle? So, like I said, it was the one of ten brands that was still able to sell liquor during the Prohibition. I was talking about Old Forest. Yeah. What were they? Were they exporting it? Um, not that I know of. I just know that they used it for medicinal purposes. Oh, okay, just for medicinal. Okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I broke my cup. Feel better? I do. So Old Forest. Okay, so. 100 proof. 100 proof. It did not say nothing about 1930. It, 1920 to 1932. It says on the bottle, served before, during, and after the prohibition. Mm, is that why you bought it? That's exactly why I bought it. Man, boy. All right. 
So the United States does not have a royal family. Sure, we have the Kennedys, the Bushes, and last but not least, the Kardashians. <laughs> but none of them were as famous as the Lindberghs in the 1920s and 30s. When Lindbergh finished his 33-and-a-half-hour nonstop flight from New York to Paris on May 21, 1927, in the spirit of St. Louis, a single-engine, single-seat whiz palace. Okay, Parks and Rec? Nope. No, he, would arrive, he would arrive back into the United States as the first person to fly over the Atlantic Ocean without dying. That flight claimed six lives before him, making him the most famous person in the world. I don't know why. Because everybody else had to take a couple week long or month long boat ride. He did this at the age of 25. I, I got on a plane two years ago. Okay, that's the first time For the ever. First time, yeah. Right. The thought of being suspended in air. Yeah, you gotta just go to Xanax. I mean, you know. Oh no, I had Xanax. I took it. <laughs> yeah, a, Xanax I, and alcohol. I took a banana peel right when we got on the plane. I woke up and we were in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that uh, like okay, I I hate to even ask you this question, but when did what year did the Wright brothers do their thing? Eighteen ninety something. Yeah. Okay, we're going to do that. It's on the back of a quarter. I know that. Okay, so, I mean, so that right, well, the Wright brothers was from North Carolina, and that's why they have that slogan on the back of the tag, first in flight. They were not, but yeah. Wait a minute, hold on. You know know something about that? Well, Leonardo da Vinci was the first person to start developing flight, and he didn't succeed. Wait a minute. Leonardo da Vinci was a yeah, fucking beast. Genius. Uh, okay. Like, he had nothing to do all day. Yeah, he was trying to do the bird shit, and he also had a sketch for the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, he was doing his thing. Yeah, he was. So, before that, see, the reason why I said something about being suspended in the air, because how I many, we didn't even, I didn't even indulge, and in, in, well, I ain't gonna say that word, but, um, Go into the Wright brothers because you know they were the first ones to do that. Sure. Yeah, they flew for like twelve seconds. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, the, it was like one of those planes that you got it up off the ground and homeboy was like, like holding hey, it up off it. the ground. <laughs> so they did that in eighteen something something. Eighteen and some change. Sure. Nineteen oh three. There it is. Nineteen oh three. All right. In nineteen oh three, they. I was did close. That. Yeah, you were so close. No, no. And then so we're talking twenty nine, thirty years later. A guy. Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh, he gets on a plane and flies across from New York to Paris. Right. And back? No, he doesn't fly back. What did he do, drive back? No. I mean, <laughs> boat. Yeah, obviously, they came and picked him up. Okay. But yeah. it wasn't a single person that did it. Yeah, but I mean, no, you no, know, I thought you said that some people tried it before him and died. Yeah, six guys tried it before him. And didn't that, didn't make it. Have they done? Wait, wait, wait a minute, hold up. Was that really, was that the I, first I solo? Or was that, that the that's first the first solo right. flight. So it was like a million hurt thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you were saying, she was the first woman to do it. She was the first woman to do it. But but was it after or before? Or later? It was after. Yeah, it was after. I, I, she was yeah, like yeah, in the forties. <laughs> okay, anyway, all right, we're back on track. let's try to get back on track. Okay. Right. So he married a woman by the name of Ann Morrow, the daughter of Dwight Morrow, who was a partner at J.P. Morgan and Company. So needless back then, back then J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan, really. They so didn't run ne- that long? needless to say, she was rich AF. Fuck. 
And she was marrying the most famous person to float the earth. All right. She's famous, famous. Right. <laughs> People like to say things twice because there's more emphasis on it. Donald Trump. Trump, Trump. <laughs> and they had their first child, Augustus or Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr. on June twenty second, nineteen thirty. Ladies and gentlemen, or gentlemen and gentlemen, okay. I present to you the most famous baby ever. Your baby. None of your babies are famous. I'm sorry, Matt. None of your babies. I don't baby. have any babies. All right. Well, well, when you have one, it won't be as famous as this baby. <laughs> Damn. Um, <laughs> I thought I was doing good. <laughs> no. It's not going to be as famous as this baby. We may actually have a conspiracy theory in this episode because I've covered Bob Marley. I've covered Kurt Cobain. I've covered Brittany Murphy. I've covered... Um, shit, who else have I covered? Uh, come on. Uh, I mean, you're talking about famous? Michael uh, Michael Jackson. Marilyn Monroe, Tupac, Biggie. This one, this one may. It's my stepmom's name. (laughs) This this one may (laughs) actually have a conspiracy. So, with that being said, I will. I had I had red flags, but I don't know what I did with them. I I was going to distribute red flags. So as soon as you hear something that doesn't sound quite right, you just kind (laughs) of. Toss the flag on the play. So yeah, just raise your hand Uh if. You know, you hear something a little sketch. There's also going to be a suspect board where I'm, I'm going to put the pictures of the suspects on this board right here. And we're going to narrow it down to figure out what happened. Okay. Right. The Lindberghs. Where, where do I start? Well, this case has everything. Alleged kidnapping, murder, celebrities, politics, millions of today dollars, the mob, the feds, the Nazis, Ransom notes, ladders. I honestly can't think of anything this case doesn't have besides like guns. The only thing I remember. Well, well, the mob has guns. So yeah, I was gonna say the what, gu- mob. Uh, I mean, this, what you mean? You Al Capone. Story, Al Capone was involved in this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, back in the back in the day, I mean, um, like in the like that was like you said during prohibition, right? Right. Nobody was drinking legally. No, I mean, unless was, you had still getting their buzz on, regardless. Oh yeah, yeah. Speakeasies I mean, all over the place. Um, I mean, I use cocaine as a. Uh, oh, that was in that. That's your snake oil. But, but, but that was I'm, there. But I'm just saying, one, that one, heroin, like yeah, well, ready. I mean, they they were probably doing it, but well, not like yeah. That. You could buy it over the counter. Yeah, heroin, um, cocaine, um, Morphine, you know, like, but, but alcohol was the worst thing on the planet. At this apparently. Time. At this that, that was the worst thing that could ever happen to you. But then they realized that uh, making it illegal was the worst thing they could do. <laughs> and then shortly after, reefer madness happened. But So you got Jersey here. But you said Al Capone, whatever. He's Chicago. Mm-hmm. And New Lindbergh England. and his New Jersey. I mean, I hear the word New Jersey. I think about Think about New York. Not, not going to New Jersey. <laughs> I, I, I think about you know Jersey. I mean, they, it's I mean, a dump. It's a dump. I'll tell you that. 
I'm sure it is. I mean, there's some probably some good parts. Mm. Yeah, it's the garden yeah, state, but huh? where I lived at in Jersey, there was no gardens. Not in I, that state. Like my it. my my playground was made. It wasn't made out of leaves or sand or anything. They used recycled tires to to ground the playgrounds in New Jersey. Okay. Then that's a nice part. That's the nice part. <laughs> Damn. So. <laughs> All right. Well. Okay. Let me let me set the table for you. Have a seat and let me briefly tell you about the 1930s. The radio was the most popular form of entertainment. The average pay for, you know, just your regular old guy working in a factory was $17 a week. Translates to $217.93 today. And it was quite possibly the absolute worst time in American history, in American history hence why they called it the Great Depression. But the Lindberghs were doing great. Charles Lindbergh was bringing home a minimum of $2,500 per appearance after flying over the Atlantic, plus the $25,000 that he got for doing it. Mind you, regular things that you use in regular day life cost about a dollar. Okay, like a washing machine was like 36 bucks. A car was $200. He got 25 racks. Mm-hmm. Just for doing something that he liked to do. That equates to $320,000 today. Plus, I'm sorry, plus $320,000. So after the flight, Limber got picked up for doing, you know, appearances, speaking at places, which he got $2,500 per appearance to do. That equates to $32,000 today for every single appearance that he did. And he did many. And he didn't skip none of them. It's going to come up a little bit later. And that's during the Depression. <laughs> Nobody had shit. Nobody had <laughs> shit. Yeah, I mean, I, it was I, bad, I'm like sitting around a radio. Okay. <laughs> if they're lucky. Okay. All right. I, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. But I'm saying that's when people get hungry. Right. He received. When, 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 when the haves. And the have-nots. Yeah, the have got a radio. Yeah. That radio was, I think, 80 bucks? Back in that day? Yeah. Damn. That's a lot. $80? That's almost like... That's the cheap one. I wouldn't pay $8 for a radio today. Do they even have radios? I mean, for real, though. I mean... Anyway, with all that being said, I, I, I get it. I get it. Right now, because right now, I mean, here it is, 2020. And yeah, I remember back in the last time I checked, this is me talking. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had twenty twenty, you could see good. That's your vision. And I mean, right now we in a we in a pan- pandemic, sure, and all that right there. So every hundred years, it seems, yeah, it seems like it, it, we might be. I don't know, but still, twenty twenty and. 19, what, 32? Seems mm-hmm. like it's like history repeating itself again. I mean, oh, well, yeah. No, no, I mean, if you got... I well, mean, they call them 100-year pandemics. For but let me tell you something. <laughs> like right now, I mean, at one point in time, yeah. I mean, you know, if I was like a showboat, but I couldn't, I mean, whatever, you know. <laughs> I mean, I got five kids. And I got seven grandkids. I love all my... I, I, I love each and every one of them, right? And if I became famous right now, and people out there starving. Right now, it's 2020. And um, 
They, I mean, they, and they knew I had some major paper. I could see somebody coming at me, and then they said, "Well, shit, if we can't get to him, we can get to his kid." And then that might, they might even try to find the the weakest, the weakest link. Like mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, and all that right there. So obviously, Lindbergh wasn't keeping. Um, he was twenty five. He was twenty. He was twenty five years old. Okay. Like we we, we made the same team. we made the same argument with Biggie and Tupac. They were twenty something years old, but yeah, he at, wasn't the, at the height of their career. Right. Even though think about it, he wasn't keeping it on the DL. He couldn't. I mean, how I, can I, you I, hide the fact a that worldwide you worldwide event, dude? I, yeah, how could you hide that? <laughs> I mean, just like hey, bro, I just flew to France, and you got to tell somebody. Because you the only man you just show done. up. I mean, <laughs> with social media opposed, I mean, what well, I mean, try to picture what social media would be in 1930. What, what, I mean, how social can that be? Outside in the news of, today, of the, the, the New York Times and the uh, Washington Post or whatever. Think about it like that. On that, on that scale or whatever. I mean, because people from South Carolina, they were probably. Getting they had to get it through newspaper instead of radio because radio was how much? An eighty an eighty dollar expense. So it had been read. It's either that or your kids don't eat. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or, or hearing hearing it from the other people that got radios. No, <laughs> you, everybody piled <laughs> into is, the Johnsons. It, it is South Carolina, not everybody was reading. But this is where my, <laughs> this is where my conspiracy theory theory comes in. That you know, I mean. So you already got a red flag. It's just like. Phew. Out there. Yeah, there's, yeah okay. there it is. There's that flag. Okay, so he received many rewards from the Nazis, even. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he received many awards, even from the Nazis, attended countless banquets, even with the Nazis, and still delivered mail. I forgot to say that before all of this, he was just a mailman. Well, an airplane mailman. And this... 25-year-old child was doing something that he just loved to do, which is fly planes. That's all he wanted to do. Could you imagine like being popular for something that you just wanted to do? I, Does, it doesn't really make sense for I, me to, to, to put myself in a position just like, I just like to do this. This is quite popular. I'm a fucking fly to France tomorrow, and I'll, I'll see y'all when I get back. I got my red flag back up. Okay, what? My red flag says, okay, I like to drive. I've been, I mean, you know that more than anybody. I, I, I was a cab driver for many years. But, yeah. like, back then, but like, when shit wasn't new. unless you're getting paid. When shit well. wasn't new. And, like, let's say they found out Billy Jones loves to drive cars. So, you were the first person to ever drive from New York to L.A. Like... You're just the first person to ever do it. Like, right. don't get me wrong. It's something to do. Without sleeping. Yeah, without sleeping. <laughs> because you can't sleep. <laughs> it's like a 28-hour drive. I could do it. Okay. I could do it. All I mean, right. Seriously. Okay. But, I mean, not not to say, I mean, stuff like that right there. Because I'm a competitor. And, I I mean, I have that whatever. That whatever. But, I mean, it's not the... Oh, I mean, sorry, this, this thing is getting ready to get crazy. Because I'm gonna say this right here. I Even told you, like, about to get hot planes. Out. I mean, I mean, number one, 
he didn't manufacture. I mean, obviously he definitely worked on planes. He, he was an inventor. Okay, okay. All right. That, I mean, he, I need he, to hear that. He revolutionized airplanes after the fact. Before he was just your your rinky dink mechanic. There was even somebody that said, uh, if he had he if he had not did that flight, mm-hmm. he would be working at a gas station somewhere in Milwaukee. That's that's what somebody said. I can't remember who that person was. Yeah. And it said him. It took him thirty three and a half hours to fly across Atlanta. Yeah, thirty three and a half hours. Uh, yeah. So you gonna With do that? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, not that one. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna need a little help if I'm staying up thirty three and a half hours. Yeah, <laughs> they, I mean, Adderall was. A, I think methamphetamine well, back was. Back then, they had. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure they it was. Uh, well, cocaine, you get out of the counter. Yeah. He wasn't ready at 25 to be the most famous family during, like, what I said, the worst times in American history. This wouldn't be his only family, though, because Charles went on to have five more kids with Anne and seven others through extramarital affairs in Germany. Damn. Hence the guy that, whatever, where you find the, the handyman. So the table set. Money back then meant more money now. Everybody's clear on that. Charles was a whole ho out here on these streets. He had like 13 kids. It's going to come up a little bit later. I didn't know that. But right now, the most famous baby in the world has been kidnapped. Maybe. Out over the wires. And immediately, there begins the greatest manhunt in the history of modern crime. Only a few minutes have passed since the message was flashed. It isn't much beyond midnight. And already the state troopers are going through the neighborhood with a fine-tooth comb to meet the challenge of a criminal degenerate. Not a single bet is overlooked. Not a single suspicion unverified in the search for the most famous baby in the world. Innocent, my 20-month-old son of the Lone Eagle and his mate. Okay, this is the. All right, let me ask you this right here. That, you, you say he had thirteen kids. Yes. The the Lindbergh baby that got kidnapped. That's the, the kid. first kid. Really? That was his. That first was the kid first baby in America. <laughs> his first baby. He's from Detroit. Don't get me wrong. But that's yeah. the first baby of his. Right. They got kidnapped. What he, what, I mean, this what it comes in saying. I mean, so I'm about to get into the meat and potatoes of this. Go, 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 are you, are go you right ready? Here, because go I was going to say, I mean. This is the meat I'm and the potatoes last part. Person want to say that if my first child died mysteriously, mysteriously, well, I, I wouldn't care about it. I can make another one, <laughs> I, I or mean, twelve I other I, ones. I, I mean, seriously, <laughs> you're, you're, it's going it's going to sound a little bit weird after after you hear everything else. That'd be the last thing I would do is say, you know what? No. Okay. So on March first, nineteen thirty-two, in the Lindbergh fa- in the Lindbergh family house, in their New Jersey estate named the Highfields, where they rarely stayed because it was under construction, especially because of the fact that it was unlivable. They never stayed there. That night, between the time of eight and ten o'clock p.m., Charles Lindbergh Jr., the most famous baby to be a baby, okay was kidnapped from the second-story nursery at the Highfield House, a house that had 23 rooms and five bathrooms. 
Anyway, they made it look on, on the windowsill of the nursery was it? I'm sorry. I said that's that's not the way they made it look on TV. I remember right. the show. Right. No, I looked at a diagram of the house. Like I looked at the the blueprints of the house. There's 23 rooms in the house. There's seven bedrooms on the second floor. With 25, seven. 15 of them must have been bathrooms. <laughs> they I mean, count closets. Ain't no way. We'll go right ahead. I want to hear this. I want to hear the rest of this. Well, you saw that show in the seventies. Is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what, what I saw in the seventies. I saw a ladder. They counted closets as rooms in the seventies. <laughs> Problem. On the on the windowsill of the nursery was an envelope containing the first of thirteen ransom notes. The first note read. I was I was gonna try and read this in a German accent, but I don't think I can do it. Dears, we have ways to make you talk. <laughs> Dear sir, have fifty thousand dollars ready, because that's the way it reads. R e d y ready. Twenty five thousand and twenty dollar bills, fifteen thousand and ten dollar bills, and ten thousand and five dollar bills. After two to four days, we will inform you were to deliver the money. We warn you for making anything public or the police. The child is in good care. Indications for all letter are signature and three holes. Like, I'm sorry, unquote, quote, unquote. That's the letter. So they had a signature at the bottom, which is like a Venn diagram, you know, like a circle, circle. And then there's a circle in the middle. And then they had three punctures in, in the note with like a red middle part thing. So, first off, who are we? Th- that that was mentioned first. And who is we? Yeah, it's come. It comes up a lot. I don't know if you ever heard any of my episodes, but like usually when there's a ransom letter, there's a we and not an I. Mm-hmm. The investigation should have started off looking for more than one suspect. Second, I still feel like the letter was too long. All of the rules. And all the denominations of money in the 1930s. Okay. During the Great Depression, money is money. If you're going to be picky, which they were, and get away with it. Who gives a proper fuck in the 30s? How much money you get and what denominations? If you you ask for all this money, and then I'm like, look, here. There's the money. I don't give a fuck what you ask for. You're going to take it or not? Well, if, yeah, but if you broke, you probably don't want to flash the 20s, though, in the Depression. I'd, I'd so, say just bring me a couple satchels of ones. Okay. <laughs> That's New Jersey, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think like, if you had that kind of money in South Carolina at that time and stuff like that, they'd be like, mm, this, this funny money. This <laughs> yeah, ain't real. Well, I mean, it's can't Calling be, the cops yeah. on you. So, especially after you find out what happens anyway, but 50 racks is the ransom, which equates to about $641,000 today. The fact that they asked for it in denominations of the sorts means that there has to be more than one method that they can basically launder the cat. That's, that's what it meant to me. I was like, okay, if you want to ask for it in all these certain denominations, I got ways, mob tactics. To get rid of this money and get my money back. That makes sense. And I came up with that on my own. As soon as I read that, I was like, hmm. Like, I'm going to put 20000 in a laundromat. I'm going to put 20000 in this fast food place down the street. I'm going to put, like, I'm going to keep the other 10000 
Blah, blah, blah. Like, it just can't be in big numbers. It like, just can't like, be in big numbers. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I so mean, you're going to launder this cash as soon as you get it. You That's want so many, you want X amount of hands to touch this money because clean money, when I say clean money, I, I, ain't, I, I ain't talking about money that's been laundered. Because like, like, like when, I go, when I go to the bank to say, I need a, $800. The next thing the the teller asked me is, "How do I want it?" Uh, I like, but I mean, depending on what I'm getting ready to do with the money. I forget if I'm just giving somebody eight hundred dollars. I'll just say, "Give me, eight bills, you give it to me like yeah. that right there." I have got so much uh, fresh money that looked too fresh that I took. I, I actually looked, took it and balled it up a couple of times. So I guess I well, mean, it sticks to you, huh? It sticks. Yeah, for fresh money. Yeah, yeah. And I'll put it in the microwave I mean, for like then, ten seconds and it'll stop that. Oh, so I was telling you, you the money. <laughs> no, that's real I've money. I the money. I just know how money works. Yeah. yeah. The letter was sealed in an envelope on the windowsill, which is quite possibly, or which quite possibly means that the letter was prepared before arriving to the house and not. At the house, like some people did, talking about John Ramsey and like, that's poor planning. <laughs> yeah, you you may not know nothing about the Ramsey case, but like they said that they wrote the ransom letter at the house, and that's the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, that's a bad plan. Like, okay, so Billy doesn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, no, I, I mean, now what you fucking? We'll just do it when we're there. I'm like, yeah, John, <laughs> yeah, the whole John Bonet thing. I mean. It was like, to me, it was almost similar back like when you did the Susan Smith. I had already figured the case out when they told me the circumstance. Uh, you got jack, uh, carjacked by... A black, a random a, black guy at a, a red light. A black guy, this, that, and the other. I said, man, please, if they believe any of that right there, some things you can just figure out on your own. Yeah, I mean... I mean, really, it's, I mean... Yeah, it's... It, it, when you hear it the first time, stuff like that, right, you like... Real? This doesn't sound right. Yeah, I mean, man, come on, man. They, they Chappelle made money off of skits. Like, yeah. I mean, really, it doesn't hey, take. Hey, some in the milk ain't white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the? <laughs> I've got to use that again. I'm so sorry. I've never heard that. Some in the milk ain't white. <laughs> anyway, go right ahead. All right. So third, the house was no just house it was a mansion they had seven bedrooms and the five bathrooms were on the second floor and the Lindberghs didn't really stay there except for on the weekends while it was under construction like they stayed there because it was the most secretive house they had they stayed in Inglewood New Jersey where her mother's house was because it, w- it had protection it was a fucking mansion and like that's just where they stayed for whatever reason they decided to stay at this house through the weekend and this, the kidnapping happened on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. <laughs> the only people that knew that they were there were the people inside of that house. The Lindberghs after... So wait a minute, hold up. They, they, this is their first kid. This is their first kid, yeah. Alright, and then it was him, her, who... What other people? That, you, got two, you, got two, you got two... two nurse, two um, nannies. Violet and Susan? I only remember by their last names. So. They weren't in German, was it? 
I'm just asking because I mean. <laughs> so Lindbergh jumps into action. He grabs his gun. He tells his people to call the police, and he runs to the front yard to discover a makeshift ladder that the kidnappers use to enter and exit the house with nothing else. That's it. It had been raining that night, and the visibility was not in his favor. So when he ran outside, he didn't see anything. There was fog. There was mud. Bye. Shortly after the 911 call was made, the police from all over the state had arrived, and the looky-loos from the surrounding area wanted to catch a glimpse of the grieving family. For lack of better words, they were just fucking up the crime scene. The only clues investigators got from the scene was the ladder that they found 25 feet from the house, one muddy footprint, and the ransom note. The nursery was processed fingerprints to which they could only recover one from the baby. Now, criminals are criminals, okay? But one thing that they discriminate against is using children in a malicious manner. Right. That, makes that will literally get you killed in prison. Yes. You know that. I do know that, but I'm just saying that. Uh, I mean, that's why people. child molesters have their own part of the prison. Right or wrong? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So a man by the name of Al Capone, who was not in one of those parts of the prison, reached out to the family of the Lindberghs and said, while in prison, that he would add $10,000 to the ransom reward recovery of the child. And he would use all of his connections to also find the child, which was a big fucking deal. Like, Al Capone had a reach. So, the Lindberghs also added another $10,000 up for any information leading to the discovery of their (laughs) to their child. And $50,000 for the reward of the baby. So the reward is now over, which the kidnappers asked for. So the kidnappers had to be like, what the fuck? They only asked for 50000 The reward is now 70000 On March 6th, a second letter was received and said, basically, we told you not to contact the police. What the fuck? Now we have to up the ransom to 70000 because y'all don't know how to listen. We'll let y'all know when the month, uh, we'll let you know how to get in touch with us when the money is ready. Then a man named John Condon, a.k.a. Jaspi, a 72-year-old retired high school principal, got involved with the case. He wrote a letter to the Bronx Home News saying that he would offer up another $1,000 of his own money to basically be the middleman between the kidnappers and the Lindberghs. Meaning that he would deliver the money, the child, or whatever that he had to do, but if they didn't want to meet in person, then he pleaded that they drop the baby off with any Catholic priest. That's a flag. Yeah, flag. (laughs) (laughs) Why is he like, hey, I care about the baby? Drop it off with a Catholic priest, why don't you? Now, I don't know how the kidnappers found this letter that Condon wrote, but they did. And they agreed that Condon could be the go-between in a note delivered to his house. And they told him that when he got the money from the Lindberghs right into the American or the New York American paper, quote, the money is ready, unquote. 
another note from the kidnappers finds its way to Condon's house, instructing him on how to find yet another note specifying where to drop the money off. This would be uh, the ransom letter of number six. So Condon shows up to the drop-off point, which coincidentally was a graveyard. Condon shows up with no money, and the guy who showed up to retrieve the money, we'll call him Cemetery John, because that's, that's what his name was. He was waiting on it, but he was like, what the fuck? But Condon told him that they would not be able to bring the money without proof of life, or if they even had the baby. Remember, Great Depression... People would probably give their baby away for half of that ransom money. So Condon pulls out two blanket pins from Baby Lindbergh's crib and he's like, what are these then? And the kidnapper accomplice says, those are from the crib, bro. The (laughs) The baby's not dead. We have two women watching over him. We're feeding him the diet that Mrs. Lindbergh gave us over the radio. She apparently gave them a, a a a diet plan. How to feed your baby when you kidnap it? Yeah, <laughs> she, like she she gave that to Wait, them. Who, over. I, I, I missed something. Who is she? Mrs. Lindbergh. Oh, really? Yeah, she gave them a diet plan over the radio, and she told them how to feed the baby because the but baby this had is rickets. the same radio that only a few people could afford. Yeah. So only the rich people get it. I'm yeah. sure they got them in bars and shit, though. You know. Maggie. It was like a sports <laughs> bar. Now they, they had radio bars back then. See, Mama knows something. Mama knows something. So one of the kidnappers says they're they're feeding the baby uh, mm. the food that the Mama said on the on, on the radio. radio. But I'm sure she wasn't saying, "Hey, if you kidnap my baby." This is what you <laughs> yeah. Yeah, make sure they get <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. So all right. It sounds already a conspiracy. We we'll go right ahead. To do my homework. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, no, I, that's I, what he just said. That's yeah, why you, yeah, yeah that's what you. So just yeah, about. like the baby's on a boat chilling, six hours away. He's fine. He's he's just chilling. By the way, there are six of us in our kidnap gang. Like that's that's what they said mm-hmm. in like in the meeting that Condon had with Cemetery John. That's what he said. Like I, I didn't say it. That's what was reported. So Condon is now like, what the fuck? Then the guy's like, while I got you, what if I showed you the baby was dead? Is what the kidnapper said. <laughs> That's, don't say that. Like, <laughs> just by the way, like, what if I told you the baby was already dead? They'll be like, well, then, then I don't think I'm going yeah, to give you any money. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> well, like, I mean well, that's my only options. No, no yeah, it's like, like I'm just going to ask you. I'm who, not going to pay you for a dead baby. I'm just going to go ahead and ask, like, hey. But, I mean, the thing about the whole situation is, I okay, between the kidnapping and the discovery where baby was fired, how many days was that apart? March to May. That was, yeah, that was a month. Yeah, that was a long time. Okay, but then, who did they suspect from the beginning? The, they the didn't really man? know. Yeah, the Lynchburg guy? The, when they found their first suspect, that's what they leaned on. But then, I remember... And that's back when they beat the hell out of people until they said so. Yeah, but I'm just saying, there was a fucking lynch mob. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, yeah, I mean, first thing first, okay. 
anytime we think of the name or the word lynch, we think about hanging yeah. and all that right there, this, that, and the other, right? And that was when the sheriff of, of whatever town or whoever it was, you couldn't stop these guys. Right. They like, Lynch okay, we know Ma. that Rashad did it and we're coming to get him. We know you got him. <laughs> I mean, I know for a fact what a lynch mob is. And, and in the movie, when I saw it in the 70s, that's what went after that. Bruno, what's his name? Richardson Hoffman. Hoffman, whatever. Okay. That's what, we, I mean, that's what went after him because they were like, I mean, it yeah, was like, like pick forks and it like, was like they had a trial that day and they hung him the next day. But it, 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 was, it was close, but it wasn't that close. Yeah, I mean, he, he got executed by Lynch. Yeah, yeah but, but he was in jail for like ten years or, or more. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah death like row. You're always on death huh? row forever. It's like four years. It's gonna come up. Oh, was it? All okay. Right. Yeah, moving on. All right. <laughs> get to the. I mean, get to the part. I mean, yeah, we got into. To the firewater part. <laughs> yeah, we go, yeah, yeah. The fire, yeah, we've been too much in the firewater. Then the guys are like, I'm just playing. The baby isn't dead. But what if, you know. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> what if, you know. That was just hypothetical. I mean, the thing about it is, like, this right here proof of life, right? Did you even use that word? Yes. All right. That is a big, that is a big word. I mean, that is a big word, but I'm going to tell you like this right here. Proof of life is me taking my cell phone and taking a picture and, and showing you. Proof of life. How did they do it in the Back 30s? then, they could take a damn picture with a, with a, with a, them holding the, that paper that day and they, and they'd send it to them. Okay. That's how but they used anyway, to do it. That, that, that's still though. I mean, really. I mean, I mean yeah, it's like, well. So when uh, they, when they got done hanging out and they were hanging out for a minute, the kidnapper told Condon to put a message in the paper that the money was ready and he'd get proof of life from the baby Lindbergh. Ransom note number seven came with the sleeping suit of baby Lindbergh. It was also said that since they had to buy another one, please include the ransom with an extra $3. That's hilarious. <laughs> Because and I'm gonna need little snaps for the. They bucket. had to buy another baby. <laughs> so Not three dollars. <laughs> I mean, come on now. The eighth note would be the kidnappers again telling the Limbergs to read their letter and make sure they are actually reading them this time. And the ninth note threatened to raise the ransom to a hundred thousand dollars because they weren't using the clues from the note. Like they would say, "Hey." Put this in the note if you got it. And then the Lindberghs would be like, we're not. <laughs> we got the money, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, hey, you're not using what we told you to put in the note. The Lindberghs comply. And in the 10th note received on April 1st, the kidnappers told them to get the money ready in the, in the denomination specified in one of the other letters. I can't. I can't. Uh, by this point, I can't remember which letter they specified the denominations anymore. Like, there's 13 of them. Help me help you at this point. <laughs> but note 11 came with note 12, and they basically gave the instructions for the day of the drop, but no address. <laughs> so Condon meets back up with Cemetery John, and he gives him $50,000. Thousand dollars in that day was a lot of change. It was six hundred thirty thousand dollars and some change, but like they gave it to him in a very 
intricate built type box that they would only be able to identify by that person who received the box. The box was never recovered. Mm. So yeah, it's like a custom it? built box because if they found the box, they'd know who did it. I don't know where the fuck the police were on this, but the IRS and the FBI had given had a plan to catch the kidnappers. They gave Charles Sr. $40,000 in gold notes, a currency that was on its way out within the next two years. Then you follow the paper trail of the said notes because you they, had were, to cash them they in. were gold notes. Yeah. Like we were about to go off the gold system. If you didn't cash them in, then you didn't get the money. The serial numbers yeah. were the serial numbers were documented and booklets were issued to employees handling currency in banks, clearing houses, grocery stores, and certain selected communities, insurance companies, gas stations, filling stations, airports, department stores, post offices, and telegraph companies. So everybody had a list of the serial numbers from these notes. I mean, I mean, I'm just kind of amazed about, you know, like, you know, how they trace numbers these days opposed to what they did in the 30s. I mean, basically, because everything either got a, what do you call a lot number or some type of number to go when it was manufactured, where it was manufactured at, this and other, and they could go back. Like, even in my car. There's a yeah, they know up. where it may, where it's made, and they they know this, that, and the other, and all that right there. Yeah, seriously. Like you know, I mean, I've watched, and I know Shaw did the same thing. Um, some of the the killers. Um, one episode that I watched of uh, Forensic Files was how they traced uh the killer was he bought the beer at this store, and it had the the lot number. And when they got scanned by the cashier, they they could tell by the beer bottle, by a number that's either by on the, the bottom of the bottle oh, or somewhere. That's how I'll go down. Huh? I said, that's how I'll right, go down. Damn, right, damn. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like a dumbass. <laughs> when you're sitting up there, you're like, oh, that's how they got me. <laughs> exactly. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. The exchange is made in the note. From the 13th letter says that the baby is on a boat named Nellie in Martha's Vineyard. There would be no boat in Martha's Vineyard by that name. Connecticut. Martha's Vineyard? Boston, I'm, isn't it? Or, I don't Where's, know. Where's yeah. It's somewhere up there, Rich. Mar- yeah, Martha's dead. Isn't that up in Connecticut? I'm not sure. Right, we, we're going to find out. We'll go right ahead. As the case began to lose its luster, a truck driver named William Allen. I've never trusted anybody who has the Two first names is the first and last name. Never, mm-hmm. never trusted that. Pulled to the side of the road near Mount Rose, New Jersey to piss and made a gruesome discovery. The body of Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr.'s body. He had been there for about two months. And his cause of death after examinations was blunt force trauma to the head. Kidnappers either dropped the baby out of the window, chucked him out the car. <laughs> I'm sorry. I knew I was going to fuck that up. Chucked him out of a speeding car or just gave him the business to keep him quiet. Either way, no further examination could be completed because after Charles Sr. was alerted and called to the scene, he told medical examiners to cremate the body immediately. Please, fishy. Yeah, flag. I mean, please please hold your red flags (laughs) until after this next part. All right. 
So, like I said, the, they gave the kidnappers money that would soon be taken out of circulation as to track them down, or at least narrow down the scope of suspects. Towards the end of 1934, a series of notes were being used in a particularly German-speaking part of New York City called Yorkville. Then there's a break in the case. A teller received a gold note with a license plate number written on the corner. The license plate number came back to a blue Dodge, and the owner's name was Bruno Richard Hauptmann, a German illegal immigrant from the Bronx. He was arrested the next morning, and his house was searched, and that led to the discovery of over $13,000 in gold notes in his garage. All of the notes came from the thing. No. He was then identified by the taxi driver and Condon, but not at first, mind you. But after the fact, Condon confessed that he was the guy handling all of these notes and was the guy at the graveyard. The trial was held in Flemington, New Jersey, although it's hard to think that you could find anywhere in the United States that hasn't heard of the case. It was, how would you say, Billy? Kangaroo Court? Oh, yeah. It was Kangaroo Court, to say the least. There was zero forensic evidence. The only eyewitness was 70-something. The police couldn't even tell you for sure which foot left that single footprint that was, in the, that was left at the crime scene. They were, left, they were asked about the indentures left in the ground from what they thought were holes from the ladder in question, and the holes weren't measured, and after the police tested the ladder in the window theory, it was concluded that the, the ladder was impossible to make it from the window holding a 30-pound sack. Like, they couldn't, they couldn't do it, like... They could get in the window with the ladder, but they couldn't get back out the window with the 30-pound sack. So there was no really just saying, hey, we did this, and this guy could do it. Yeah, that was always the scary part about the whole show when I saw it the first time. I was like, you know, it was scary. I mean, because... What, did they have the ladder? Yeah, they they had the the actual ladder. ladder. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean... It, I and mean, you couldn't it, get that it the was, sack of baby through it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it was Basically scared. They the baby out the window. The average... <laughs> I, yeah. Basically? Hey, I don't know. I, I, I'll climb up there and toss the baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I yeah, mean, pretty much. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Chuck and it. all that right there. But, you know, the whole... I mean, did the money ever get retrieved? And yes. They, yeah, that dude had it. Well, he had a Hoffman third of it. it. He had a third of yeah. it. Hoffman, yeah, had some of it. But ain't no way he did it by himself, I guess. The evidence in the case against Hoffman was eh at best. First, he had Condon's phone number written in a closet in his house, which is loose. Anybody could have wrote that phone What's number. What's a boner move to... Condon's... Yeah, but, you know, by the way, the uh, kangaroo, court, uh, kangaroo court thing, an un- unofficial court held by a group of people in order to try something regarded, especially without good evidence, as guilty. Of I, oh, I knew what kangaroo court means. I knew what it meant, but what I'm saying is just for the listeners and stuff like that right there that don't know. Because Condon and Hopman lived 30 minutes, a 30-minute bus ride away from each other. They could have possibly known each other. There was nothing else to do. You meet somebody, they have a phone, you give them your phone number. 
Has anyone in your life ever asked you if you were on Facebook? At least one person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. like someone asked you if you got a phone number. Hey, I got one. <laughs> yeah, 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 especially when phones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> phones I mean, were I, a big I deal. Mean, usually, like somebody, I mean, like if I wanted to find out somebody if they was on Facebook right now, I just ask them their name. So show of hands of people who also been asked if they've been on Facebook. All three hands. All right. Boom. All right. So a number or an address is in your head and you don't want to forget it. You write it down wherever you are. In the closet, fuck it. I bet you won't forget that number though. Because you ain't got nothing else to do back then. You ain't got nothing else to do. <laughs> and you're going to write it down wherever you're at. Especially with a pencil because you can wipe it down. Right. Simply, oh, oh, you found a phone number and an address for somebody written down somewhere. It doesn't really mean anything. And especially in the 1920s and 30s when anybody could have wrote that phone number and that address down. I'm sorry. Like, it's, 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 it's speculated because they didn't match his handwriting to match that phone number and address that he wrote down. They did everything else. But they didn't do that part. Floorboards from his attic were matched to be from the uh, patterns of the ladder left at the scene. So they took wood from his attic and matched it up to the ladder. And it was like, okay, these are the exact same planks used from your attic to make the ladder. Which is still loose as fuck. Like... I like unless someone can tell me for sure that the wood patterns are like tree fingerprints and no two trees make the same pattern ever. I but, doubt that. Or you'd hear about fucking tree shit more. But the shitty part about is the shitty part about it for him is that the police also found sketches of the ladder in his house. But you can't say that those weren't planted either. So you can say they planted a, pl- a piece of the board from the ladder in his house. Someone wrote the number on a, in a closet somewhere. And then now you're going to say that sketches of this ladder just kind of came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out because, like, when I first saw the, the, the show back in, like I said, when I was a little boy, that ladder. Was like sunk him, huh? Sunk him, yeah. That was. Well, like I mean, it seemed like it was the key part of the evidence that got him uh, convicted or found or whatever. That fucking letter. Well, and the money. I mean, well, yeah, and the yeah, money. I yeah. mean, yeah, exactly. Because I was, I was a kid, right? And I mean, you know, I mean, hell, think about this right here. When you're young, and I mean, which is more, uh, Marley, your daughter. Does not know the meaning of money, but she probably would like to climb a ladder. I mean, I'm if it makes sense, and right? So, I mean, no, I get where you come from. I mean, I'm like, I mean, because it scared me because when I heard about it and stuff like that, right there, all I thought about was, God, I mean, this could happen to anybody, and all that, right there. I wasn't even thinking about the money aspect of it, yeah, well, they, they were. 
I mean, I'm with you. I mean, so it brings back, you know, whatever. What, I ain't going to say it traumatized me, but in a way it did. So if you can tell me that two wood patterns are the same as two fingerprints, because no two fingerprints are the same, right? That's what they say. That's what they say. Then you can't tell me that testing handwriting is the same around that time because handwriting analysis had just came into fruition. Like it was like 1870 when a a legitimate handwriting school came. Before they even started thinking about it. Yeah. So, you know, it was 1872 when the first handwriting school was like, hey, we're going to study this. 19, what, 30 something? So it's still in its infancy. Yeah. It's still very, very barely something. And they're going to sit there and tell me that Hoffman's handwriting matches the 13 letters from the ransom letters. None of them, like, not all of them match. Some of them match, some of them didn't. But a lot of them does not conclude that Hoffman wrote those letters. Period. So, again, more than one person. You can't execute one person for the crime of multiple people. Yeah, conspiracy. Alright. But, so witnesses may have been coerced too. Intimidated, maybe, during the FBI lineup to identify Hoffman as Cemetery John, Condon said that he was not the guy in the graveyard that night, then turned around and, and admitted in court that he was, in fact, Hoffman. Lindbergh was also called to the stand and identified Hoffman by voice. You ever, you ever been identified by voice? I heard that tape. I mean... Yeah, but from his car across the street from but, the cemetery. I mean, they never got a good look at him, yeah. I, but, I did a little Wikipedia research. <laughs> but the thing about it was, I mean, they, didn't they make him recite? Um, what, the same the thing? only thing that, yeah. that Lindbergh heard him say was, hey, doc. Man, I'm telling you, I mean, the thing about that whole situation was, I mean, when I saw it, it was like a lynch mob. Right. They yeah, needed well, a body. It's after World War One too, where everybody ain't really German loving. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, seriously. After he got arrested and after he got tried and convicted, how long before he got executed? Not was, that long. Yeah, All right, I, so I, they they hurry up and they hurry up and got their end. Got that shit over with. So, on April 3rd, 1936, for Hoffman's last meal, because, obviously, he got the death penalty. Yeah. He he, he got the death penalty. The only person to get the death penalty, by everybody's standards, because no one else was executed for this. Um, For murder? No. Yeah. He was the only person. On April 3rd, 1936. they didn't give it away like they do now. <laughs> no. No, no, they don't work that long. All right. So Hotman was convicted and sentenced to die via electric chair on February 12th, 1935, after six weeks of testimony from over 130 witnesses. Don't know where they got him from. They needed him out of the way, and they needed to close his case. 
and I feel like it was a bit premature. He was offered a large cash offer to be given to his family and the transfer of his sentence of death to life without in exchange for a confession. Hotman could have just made something up, but he decided to go out with the story that he came in with. Not guilty. His last meal consisted of a salmon salad or salmon. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I say salmon. Okay. I say salmon too, but I work in a restaurant. Corn fritters. A slice, sliced cheese, olives, and celery and for dessert, a fruit salad and cake, washed down with a glass of milk, and finished off with coffee. His last words, and I'm going to try and not slaughter this. <laughs> Fuck. Ich bin absolut unschuldig den Verbrechen, die man mir last Lied. I tried Germany. Translated means I'm absolutely of all I'm absolutely of all the crimes in which I am in charge innocent. And at the time, I believed him. At the time when I heard it, I mean, even though I was a kid when they aired that in the seventies oh, yeah. and all that right there, I did not believe. I mean, it's almost like it's not comedic, because that would be I'm laughing at it. I did not believe that he did what they say he did. One good thing that came out of this case was the Lindbergh Law, which is intended to let federal authorities step in and pursue kidnappers once they have crossed state lines with their victim. So this is the part of the story where we we venture into let's say Hoffman had everything to do with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. He obviously had someone else this is the conspiracy part like because it takes one or more people for conspiracy like if i'm sitting here talking to you about robbing joe's store that's a conspiracy yeah even if he went dead by himself you you could still be on the hook (laughs) like i know about it (laughs) yeah yeah that's if i admit to it but i know yeah i know what it's doing yeah now, Hopman said that the, the money, the $13,000, that came from a guy named Isidore Fish, that's the guy that left the money at his house, was a fur trader from Germany who left the money with him and went to Germany and died poor. So let's add him to the list of suspects and then let's immediately take him off because he's dead. And he died poor. If yeah. you're going to be part of it, you're going to take a little bit with you. However, it's more likely that this kidnapping-murder combo was not committed by one person because the first fucking ransom letter said we, and there's no way that one person would be able to know, first off, where the room is, second, where they would have, the family, the Lindberghs would have been, third, where the house is, and fourth, by themselves, to get away with the crime. So that's it's a lot. I mean, Hauptman did only have about one-third of the cash, too. So it's definitely possible that Fisk involved Hauptman without making him fully aware of the kidnapping. And that's why Hauptman didn't have anyone else to snitch on because he just did not know anyone else's involvement. Then there was a lady in, his, in the house of the Lindberghs, her name was Violet Sharp. She was a a 28-year-old nanny 
from from England who worked for the Lindberghs. She was a suspect because she actually was not working that that particular night and she was the only person that knew that they were there at Tom. She was questioned rather aggressively, but she would go on to commit suicide via a cocktail of silver polish and cyanide. So we can put her we can add her to the board, but we have to take her off because she killed herself. And I'm sorry, like there's no point in trying to prosecute prosecute somebody that's dead. We learned that from the big end Tupac trial. Like this is true. One person that can stay on the board is John Condon, a.k.a. Jaffsey. The only guy that the whole investigation took seriously were the Lindberghs and the kidnappers. He's the only person that met with the kidnappers, not only once, but twice. And said he'd pay $1,000 on school teacher money back then? Yeah. He, He corresponded through classified ads in the paper, although he had nothing to do with the case. He's not the father. He's not the uncle. He's just some guy that talked to the kidnappers on the phone, not once, but twice, and yet seemed unable to identify the suspect after meeting him two times. He seemed to have a lot more liberties in the case than the state police and the FBI had because they weren't allowed to. Charles Lindbergh didn't allow the FBI or the state police to get involved because he had this guy. Whatever. His own man. Yeah. Right. And he said to drop him off at a drop a little baby boy off at a Catholic church. I would say that (laughs) I would say that Condon should have been held high on the suspects radars list. And he he's like number one. Like number fucking one. And last but not least, my number one draft pick. I'm sorry, I haven't I haven't seen sports in a while. Oh yeah, but go ahead. Okay. So Charles Lindbergh Sr., or Daddy Lindbergh. He was known for pulling pranks involving his child, especially his first child. One of his nannies, Betty Gow, said that Charles pulled a prank saying that their baby had been kidnapped only a few weeks before the actual kidnapping. He hid the child in the closet and pulled him out only moments before the police was called. So, could have this just been another one of those pranks gone wrong? I forgot to mention that Lindbergh Sr. was also an inventor of sorts and was more than capable of constructing this ladder that they found on the property. And on top of this hobby of inventing things, he was also a fan of eugenics. And he admired the social and political beliefs of Hitler and the German National Party. The German. and the pursuit of the perfect human race. But Lindbergh's son was far from perfect. The baby Lindbergh was allergic to milk, giving him rickets, or ricket-like symptoms, which is a vitamin D deficiency. He He also had an abnormally large cranium and hammer toes on his left foot. A cranium is your head. Yes. So he had a big head. Yeah. And what else? Rickets. A ricket, whatever the fuck that is. And then some, <laughs> wait, 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 some hammer toes. Hammer but toes. I don't think it's MC hammer toes. I mean, God, I don't think he danced around. <laughs> I'm like, okay, he's got a big head and he's got rickets. Mm-hmm. And what, did he say one more thing? Uh, hammer toes? What the hell is it? I'm shooting. 
It's fireworks. So about All the right, night so in question, Lindbergh Sr. was supposed to give a speech in New York City on March 1st, 1932, the night of the kidnapping. He just did not go for whatever reason and didn't call or let anybody know that he was not coming. The only people that, aware, that were aware of this were the people inside of the house in New Jersey. When Gao, his, one of his, his nannies, discovered that the baby was missing, Lindbergh tore up the stairs of the second floor nursery and found an envelope containing the first mm-hmm. ransom note. In the beginning, or he waited for a team of police before he would uh, touch anything in the room, including the, the first ransom note. Then, almost immediately after the first letter was read, he changed his mind and didn't want anyone involved with the case, including police and FBI. No one was allowed to be questioned from his estate and then he put all of his eggs in John Condon's basket. Now, before I go down the rabbit hole of the baby still being alive, and all of this being a part of the Mandela effect, you, you ever heard of the Mandela effect? Do you remember Fruit Loops being spelled fruit or fruit? F-R-O-O-T or F-R-U-I-T? The O-O. O? The O-O. No, no. F R O O T. No, I'm just saying. I I remember when it was spelled F R O O T. Right. What? It wasn't spelled fruit. Why? Why would you ask that question? It's the Mandela effect. Like really? because I remember it spelling being spelled fruit, like like F R U I T. No, I remember it was spelled F R O O T. You talking about fruit though? No, I'm talking about the cereal, right? Right. Oh, okay. Oh, you're talking about Fruit Loops? Yeah, Fruit Loops. Oh, okay. Do you remember yeah, I think they, I think they still spell it F-R-O-O-T, don't they? Mandela effect. All right. No one really, like, like if I remember it being spelled like fruit, like the, the regular. Right. Bananas, apples. Yeah. Orange, yeah. Then that's just the way my, my generation spelled it. But your generation may have spelled it F-R-O-O-T. That's what we spelled it. Okay. Yeah. So, well, shit, I guess I'm old too. With that being said, <laughs> hey, man, hold up. Yeah, with that being said, like the like you, your generation may remember the baby being kidnapped, murdered, whatever. My generation may question rem- all that shit. Yeah, question all of it. So there's that. Okay. With all that being said, yes, because I remember, like I said, you know, if you want to use the quote unquote. Fruit Loop thing and whatever. I mean, that's the way we spelled it. And whatever. Well, the way I look at it was, I mean, I mean, I we always thought that that was a fucked up ass, a fucked up ass case. <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously. I mean, I was like, a baby getting kidnapped and money being bought and stuff like that. Right there. But there was no forensic files and shit. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The information that you get today, we didn't get back then. You had to read it. You know what I mean? And stuff like that right there. And by the time it got to to us, I mean, it was so fucking... Think about it. Well, there's a lot right. of people going back with, with technology that we have today, too, though, and say, hey, 
I mean, well, they still got. All right, so uh, there's still one more. There's just one more suspect that I'd like to bring up. Bring it up. A German proprietor of a delicatessen near the area of the random pickup named John Knoll. When Condon was asked if he could describe Cemetery John, all right, he was he replied that he was about five seven, 165 pounds, big forehead, heavy heavy German accent, and had an abnormal thumb or something was off about his hands after the sketch artist was finished it was compared to a man named john knoll a german proprietor of delicatessen near the area with uh lobster-like hands Dead. <laughs> even with the weird hand thing knoll was never questioned well a lot of people weren't questioned thanks to Papa Lindy because he doesn't let the authorities be a part of the investigation very early into the investigation. Yeah, he started asking my people. Exactly. Al Capone. So now, May 12th, the body of the infant was found less than five miles away from the Lindbergh estate. An autopsy was performed but the coroner who was then, you know, qualified to do the job was not a physician of any sort. So speculation is that Lindy Sr. And, and his constituents dug up a recently deceased child from the area and used it to be the deceased body of his son. And that the actual child was sent to live with another family because of rickets. Rickets. Hamatos. Oh my god. <laughs> the child now is a man. He he lives today and his name is Robert Dolphin. This is pre-DNA so that you know, whenever anybody's ready, it's readily accessible. Though none of the Lindberg's or any of their children will go through DNA testing, which is fine. But Robert Dolphin just wants to know the truth. That's all that's it. He doesn't want. He doesn't want any of the money. The one billion dollars that he's. So yeah, what you saying? Yeah, he's worth a billion dollars, but he doesn't want any of it. Oh, I'm, I'm saying there's a Lindbergh. <laughs> no, there's a Lindbergh heir. Yeah, out there still today. Well, there's still like fifteen of them though, too, right? Yeah. No, then, but they don't want to split the money with him because he's the first one, and he gets a lot of the property share. But you know, it's all buried. It's all it's all buried. It's all yeah. Well, looking at the board, I would say that Hopman played his part in the kidnapping with the assistance of Condon. Although Hopman wasn't given enough details to actually snitch, it was probably promised a pardon from the governor for the for the death penalty. Like if someone told me, just hey, don't worry. I will get you off. Like you're gonna go, you're gonna get to the chair, and then they're gonna give you this pardon. Don't start snitching. And then yeah, my man like was that. just like, I don't have. He got executed, right? Oh yeah, yeah like the chair. Mm-hmm. The governor did give him like a couple stays or something though. Um, trying to get him another like a retrial or an, or at least an appeal, but. uh I don't know. I didn't do so much this research. Is like so one I, did, of we, your... I did a Wikipedia while I was walking a dog. No, I'm just saying, I mean, <laughs> one of the most unsolved 
Unsolved uh, Mysteries. Nobody really knows. No, nobody but knows. The guy only had a third of it left, and, you know, he can't spend that kind of money in that short of time. Well, I told you he about the, the, late, the, the lady, Violet Sharp, that worked in her house, right? The 28-year-old English woman that worked for the Lindbergh. She was a suspect, but she wasn't working at the house in New Jersey that night. She was, like, out with friends or whatever, but she was the only person that knew where they were. And then, like, she got, in, she got questioned, like, three or four times. And then the fifth time when they were like, hey, we need to bring you back in for questioning. Homegirl drank a concoction of silver polish and cyanide. Yeah, cyanide, silver polish had cyanide in it back then. And laters. <laughs> yeah, See you later. She was, she was outside the window and was supposed to catch the baby. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> way. Done and done. No doubt. Yeah, that's speculation, brother. <laughs> Damn. Again, no, nobody knows. Nobody knows any of this. But like, it could have been all him. It's it's just it, 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 would take it makes a really good story though. Mm-hmm. I would like to thank both of y'all for being a part of this episode. My pleasure. Sure. <laughs> if y'all if y'all ever want to come back, I'll make sure I'll cater this episode to both of y'all. Um, we'll eventually have to switch. Uh, topic like I, th- there's only so so many celebrity murders. Hey, we I missed can do. Big and Tupac. Oh yeah, you missed that one. <laughs> I had something to say I, about yeah. that. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, it, it was all pleasure. I mean, I, I thought that. I mean, I'm not I'm not a great villain for Brandy. Oh God, Brandy's hilarious. Yeah, she. Yeah. I mean, she 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 offers a better spin, but I did what I could do. But if you would like to follow us on Instagram, it the tag is Blood and Fire Water Podcast. Twitter at BFW Pod Squad. And if you want to just send me an email, it goes to bloodandfirewater at gmail.com. We appreciate it very much. Everybody say bye. Everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs> yeah, I, what did you say? Stay what? Oh, stay alert. Stay alive. Stay alert. Indeed. Stay alive. There Not it good. is. I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book Book of Lies, Lies. the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar, and learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook, and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye!